0: All right, it occurred to me in the middle of the last hymn that the Missouri River is what separates Iowa and Nebraska. (laughs) So I failed geography for the day, guys. Good thing my job is theology here, right? All right. Our uncommon saint for the day is poet, writer, philosopher, mystic, theologian, teacher, pastor, Howard Thurman. Before I tell you anything about him, though, I want you to hear from him. Thurman wrote this litany of thanksgiving, and I'm going to have Teresa put it on the screen while I read it. In your presence, O God, we make our sacrament of thanksgiving. We begin with the simple things of our days. Fresh air to breathe, cool water to drink, the taste of food, the protection of houses and clothes, the comforts of home, For all these we make an act of thanksgiving this day. We bring to mind all the warmth of humankind that we have known. Our mother's arms, the strength of our fathers, the playmates of our childhood, the wonderful stories brought to us from the lives of many who talked of days gone by when fairies and giants and diverse kinds of magic held sway, the tears we have shed, the tears we have seen, the excitement of laughter and the twinkle in the eye with its reminder that life is good. For all these, we make an act of thanksgiving this day." We're spending a few weeks here in February learning from the witness of some heroes of the church, men and women of faith who, through whom God has had a lasting impact on the world. They're uncommon saints, though, because although their lives and their faith have impacted our lives and our faith, we don't talk about them very often, and we might not even know their names. In the past weeks, we've talked about Fannie Lou Hamer, who was a sharecropper turned civil rights activist, and then Richard Allen, an 18th century Methodist preacher, who went on to found the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church, because of racism he encountered in the the Methodist Church. Today, Howard Thurman. Now, the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine. We went to seminary together in Atlanta, and I knew that he loves Thurman. He loves Thurman's writings and his theology. So I told my friend that I was going to be preaching today with Thurman as my companion, and he said, oh, that was my favorite class that I ever took in seminary, that class on Howard Thurman. He said, I was the only white guy in the class, and I learned so much I learned so much. I had never even heard of Howard Thurman's name before I signed up for the class. And I said, why in the world did you sign up for a class when you had never even heard Howard Thurman's name? And he said, that was why. I thought, if I have never even heard of a guy and there's a whole class on him, he ought to be somebody that I learned something about. So that tells you a lot about how my friend makes decisions, right? (laughs) But then he said, plus, I grew up in rural Missouri with zero black people, and I figured that's a pretty big missing experience for me, and I should do something about it. And it turned out to be his favorite class in the whole three years of seminary. I think it's a nice reminder to us of what happens when we cross boundaries and barriers, and I'm pretty sad that I did not take the Howard Thurman class with him. Now, before I tell you any of what makes Howard Thurman so fabulous and an important influence for us today, I want to just stop off at the scripture that we read for today, this moment of counsel that Paul gives to the Church of Rome. And Paul's point in this particular passage is actually one that he repeats in large and small ways throughout his letters. What he wants is for, to encourage followers of Jesus to act like followers of Jesus. That sounds kind of silly, right? Kind of simple. But from the very beginning, Christian people have had a hard time letting go of the behaviors and attitudes that are not of God, that are not holy. And we know that God loves us just as we are, right? We know that God loves us to the maximum amount that God could possibly love us right now. There isn't anything that we could do to make God love us more. And God offers us mercy and grace just as we need it, just because we are beloved by God. God saves us right here, right now, right as we are. Nothing we need to do to earn that love. Nothing we need to do to deserve that grace. Nothing we need to do to prove to God that we are worth saving. God thinks that we are worth it. God thinks that you are worth it. But the saving is only the beginning of the story. Because what God really wants is to transform our lives to transform our lives in response to that grace and that love that God gives. God wants to change our lives so that we live in a way that honors God. So Paul says, present yourselves to God as holy people. Be transformed from the way this world tries to make you be. Have your minds renewed by the love of God. Focus in on the will of God. He's saying, pay attention to how you're living. Set your eyes on Jesus. Aim to live a holy life, a life that's in step with God. Paul wants to be able to see the power of God in the lives of Christian people. He wants anybody in the world to be able to tell that these are followers of Jesus who have been changed from the inside out. He wants them to stand out from all the worst ways that the culture around them is operating. Now, Paul's message to those people in first century Rome, it's, it's a message that fits very well for us today. Don't be conformed to the world around you. Know who God is and know what God desires for our lives. Know how God has called us to live and live that way with faith and integrity. Be changed from the inside out and fix our eyes on Jesus. In the verses that follow, the passage that Robbie read for us, Paul goes on to talk about different roles that that are within the church, how God has gifted us differently for different kinds of work. And part of us having our minds renewed and striving for holiness is knowing how God has equipped us in this world. Not everyone is called to follow Jesus in the exact same way. Some are called to be preachers or teachers or to serve in different ways. Through music, through ushering, through working with children. Some are called to generosity. Some are called to acts of mercy. Some are to encouragement. And when we know how God has gifted us and we live out those gifts, that's part of living a holy life. Okay, so this is something that Howard Thurman knew deep down in his soul. He knew who God had called him to be and he knew how God had called him to seek justice. As a teacher and a pastor and a spiritual counselor for so many people. Howard Thurman was born in Daytona, Florida in 1899. His father died when he was seven years old, and he was raised by his grandparents who were former slaves. Now, Thurman was an exceptional student, and he eventually went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. He excelled there. I read, and I have a hard time believing this, but I read that he read every single book in the Morehouse Library. I don't know how big the library was, but it still sounds impressive to me. He graduated valedictorian, and he went on to seminary in New York. And while he was there in New York, he got to study with a Quaker theologian, a famous Quaker theologian named Rufus Jones. And that really helped Thurman's sense of of his personal relationship with God If you know anything about Quakers, you know they're very much about quietness and about reflection. And it really taught Thurman how to cultivate his interior life. And that that focus on inner spirituality, that would be so important for him throughout his life and and really uh, is what causes some people to call him a mystic in his thought and his writings. Paul's insistence that we be changed from the inside out. That's the way Thurman lived. So Thurman went back to teach at Morehouse for a few years. And there he became friends with Martin Luther King, Sr. He was a contemporary of Martin Luther King, Sr. And then Thurman moved on to Howard University in Washington, DC to teach and be the dean of the chapel. And while he was at Howard, Thurman and his wife, they got to be part of a four-person delegation to go to India and to meet Gandhi. They were the first African-Americans to ever be engaged with Gandhi. Thurman was so taken with this message that Gandhi had of nonviolent resistance that he returned to the US, Thurman returned to the US with the sense of the power of nonviolence and what it could do to address the problems of racial segregation in our own country. So he began to speak and to teach about that and it really helped his influence grow. Thurman had a strong conviction that part of what God wants for the world is that humanity would not be separate from one another that bringing diverse people together is what God wants and that it's a matter of faith to try and live that way. It's a matter of calling, a matter for the church specifically to honor the world that God has made. So in 1944, he had the opportunity to start a congregation in San Francisco that was called the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples. And it was the country's first intentionally interracial multi-ethnic church, both in leadership and in membership. And it really became a symbol for the whole country in the 40s of what a church could be, multi ethnic, multi racial. In 1953, then, Thurman became dean of Boston University's Marsh Chapel and minister to the university, and he stayed at that post until his retirement. He was the first uh, black person to be the dean of a, at a, a majority white institution, university. Thurman was a very powerful teacher and spiritual guide, and, and he he influenced countless students over his years. His books, his lectures shaped hundreds of pastors. Here's another sample of his writing. He said, ask yourself, have I ever indulged in gossip, which gave me an opportunity to say something uncharitable about something else, someone else? I will not ask you to raise your hands about whether or not that's true for you. He says, of course, if I had not heard the gossip and passed it on, then there would have been no chance for me to express my quiet hostility and at the same time be relieved of my responsibility for it. When I participate in the shared rumors and the gossip around me by passing them on or refraining from stopping them when I know to be the facts and the truth, I let my attitude and my influence become instruments of violence in my hands. So I offer this prayer to God. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Teach me how to order my days with that sure touch that I may say the right word at the right time in the right way, lest I betray the spirit of peace. Let me not be deceived by my own insecurity and weakness, which would make me hurt another as I tried desperately to help myself. Keep watch with me, O Father, over the days of my life, that with abiding enthusiasm, I may be in such possession of myself that each day I may offer to thee the full, unhampered use of me in all my parts as instrument of thy peace. Now perhaps the most influential book that Thurman wrote was one of the first ones he wrote, and it's called Jesus and the Disinherited. Jesus and the Disinherited. Its focus is on the message of Jesus and what it has to say to people whose backs are up against the wall. He wrote it in 1949 and it was a seminal book for so many people in the civil rights movement. It helped to shape how people understood their struggle as a spiritual struggle and how love was essential to approach the injustice and the oppression that they were dealing with daily. Now, the story is told that Martin Luther King Jr., who knew Thurman from his childhood and also from the years that King was in Boston. The story is that MLK carried around two books while he he led the Montgomery bus boycott. And you'll remember the Montgomery bus boycott was the first time he was thrust into leadership in the Civil Rights Movement. So MLK had two books with him during all those weeks of the bus boycott, The Bible and Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. And he carried them with him everywhere. MLK, in his own writings and and speaking, he echoed Thurman often. They communicated throughout King's life, and Thurman was a counselor and a confidant to many of the leaders of the civil rights movement. He challenged those leaders, especially the clergy leaders, to maintain a spiritual life. He kept pointing them back to the spiritual life and and asking them, are you praying? Are you meditating? Are you singing? Are you celebrating? Are you worshiping? Are you finding time for silence? He counseled them to continually bring the inner life and the outer life together. Perhaps in the words of Paul, we would say he encouraged them to always be renewed from the inside out. Now Thurman was criticized during his life for not being a more active participant in the civil rights movement. He was never out on the front lines marching, never in the court litigating uh, issues. But as one leader named Otis Monk said, Howard Thurman helped us understand why we were marching and why we had marched. So he articulated the spiritual underpinning of the movement and helped people in that way. He knew, Thurman knew that his place was not in the middle of the march. His place was as a spiritual leader, a teacher, a writer. And he had this beautiful self-assurance about his identity and about his calling. And he followed that path instead of bending to the will of the expectations of other people. Now, when I look at Howard Thurman's life, I, I see inspiration in several places. He reminds me how important it is for us to cultivate a deep inner spiritual life. As Paul says, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so we can discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He points to the importance, no matter what we're doing, of prayer and scripture and worship and meditation, and that these are the foundation upon which all faithful action is built in the world. And then Thurman reminds me that God doesn't call us all to the same tasks. But instead, God has equipped each one of us for a particular role. And we're blessed when we find that role and we fulfill it. So the question for us is not, how can I be just like Howard Thurman or MLK or whoever? The question is, what is God asking me to do with faithfulness? The question for us is not, what could I do in this world that would make me most famous? Or, what's gonna make me the most money? Or, what's gonna make me the most important in the world? The question that God wants us to ask is what has God prepared me for, and how can I do that thing faithfully? Maybe it's a role at work, or maybe it's a role here in the church. Maybe God has prepared you for a particular role in your family as a parent, or as a caregiver, or as a benefactor. Maybe God has equipped you for a role here at church where where you get to bring your skills to build up the entire congregation. Maybe God has fit you to a particular role as a volunteer or as a friend. God has a place for you to serve and finding that place and serving there faithfully brings us deep joy, regardless of what the world around us expects of us. And then finally, I think Thurman is so important for us today because he reminds us that God made this world diverse and beautiful and we honor God when we embrace that diversity and we celebrate it. God has made this world with all kinds of different people and being faithful to God means making space for different people and celebrating their different gifts. It's not easy. It's a whole lot easier for us to let our differences divide us and separate us. But it's holy and it's good and it's beautiful when we embrace our diversity and we find ways to live and work together in peace. So to close today, I want to share with you just one more prayer of Thurman's. And as we hear it, it's going to be on the screen as well. Let us thank God for the gift and the witness of Howard Thurman. He writes, open unto me light for my darkness. Open unto me courage for my fear. Open unto me hope for my despair. Open unto me peace for my turmoil. Open unto me joy for my sorrow. Open unto me strength for my weakness. Open unto me wisdom for my confusion. Open unto me forgiveness for my sins. Open unto me love for my hate. Open unto me thyself for myself. Lord, Lord, open unto me. Amen.